Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. Today I'm here with Joshua Bodstep. What's going on? <laughs> originally from the UK. I am indeed. Where in the UK? Originally London. Yeah, like my what? Never moved. Always London. Oh really? Like 30 years of my life. Like in, in the city of London? I feel like most people are like kind of in the suburbs. And... No, I'm like right in the centre. Are well, your parents originally from London as well? Yeah, they actually are. Just born and raised like all my family. Always kind of dreamt about about growing up there and having my own house in London and um, it kind of changed in the last 10 years. It went from being like this grimy um, place full of nightlife to this kind of strange tourist place where <laughs> everything's really expensive and there's yeah. no culture or nightclubs anymore. Mm. And that's kind of what got me into dubstep, that was like the genre from London. Yeah. And now you can't find any dubstep there at all. <laughs> it's all gone. What do your parents do? My dad, um, I think he's a lawyer. I haven't spoken to him for a little while. Mm -hmm. um, and my mom, she started her own company like um, a few years ago. It's so boring. They like sell gas and electricity. But they've been working their butts off um, getting that sorted for like the last 10 years. Oh, and doing, wow. doing really well now. So. What do you think of your creative side from then? Um, I think actually my parents, they're like, my dad can kind of sing. Um, his brothers play instruments. My mom's brother was also a producer. Oh, wow. Um, and used to build recording studios. And when I was like 10 years old, he was the first guy that took me to um, took me to a recording studio and I recorded my first tune when Whoa. I was like 10. I think that's what kind of started my obsession for mm -hmm. like, making music. And, yeah. And what were your parents playing in the house? Oh, Stevie Wonder. Just like loads of Stevie Wonder, Michael Jackson. Yeah, like loads of Motown. I, I have like weird memories of like Stevie Wonder songs. And I, I had like... I was like 18 years old, I started getting into Stevie Wonder and I, I didn't know why I knew all of his songs. It's like they were all in the back of my head, I yeah. just knew them without even like... It's like me with ABBA. Right, there you go. So you're like, you're, you're brought up with this thing and then suddenly, yeah, like I got into it, probably because in the back of my mind it was really familiar and yeah, I just had like, I knew all of it, it was really strange, but yeah, my first ever concert was Michael Jackson. That was oh, like, wow. Yeah, so that was my, that was my up, upbringing music, was like a lot of uh, soul. Mm -hmm. And at what age were you when you first started uh, picking up an instrument? Ten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I started playing, it was um, when Princess Diana died. Yeah. Um, I picked up a keyboard at like a charity shop mm. and I came home and um, when Princess Diana died, Elton John sang this song, Candle in the Wind, which he rewrote for Diana. And I remember watching it on TV and being like, Oh, I really want to learn that. I want to learn how to play that. I was like 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah, I picked up this keyboard from a charity shop and like came home and by the end of the day my mum comes in. She's like, when did you learn to play piano? Like, Today, <laughs> listen to what I can play. She's like, the fuck? Like, I didn't get you lessons. How did that even happen? Yeah. I was like, oh, well, it's easy. So. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, from then on I learned like guitar, bass, drums. All just teaching yourself? Yeah, just teaching myself. Uh, I tried to get lessons, but um, and it didn't really get on very well with the teachers. I had one person sit me down for uh, piano lessons, 
And they were like, right, so today we're going to learn this piece. And I think they played it to me. And I was like, oh, cool, yeah, no problem. Like, just played it straight back to them. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, so, okay, that was good, but you used all of the wrong fingers to play the oh, song. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to, like, sit and work out where my fingers are supposed to go. If I'm playing it right, I'm playing it right. And they're like, no, you have to relearn from the, from the start. I was like, nah, <laughs> so, Were you ever in orchestras? Nope. Uh, no, I wasn't. That's not really like so much a thing in the UK. Okay. I know that's like a big thing out here, but like drummers start a marching band and all that kind of thing. But no, in the UK is not really like as much support as there is over here, like in education for music. It was like something you really had to do by yourself. Otherwise, I remember teaching like my teachers things and like showing them how to do stuff. So like <laughs> they weren't really particularly like trained or anything, but mm. they were very nice. And how did your first band form? It was actually quite late on, like I started this horrendous rap rock thing and I was the drummer um, and that was like, that wasn't that long ago, that was like I would have been 22 or something, mm -hmm. um, it was terrible, it was really really bad and then I like been in some other bands since then, I've like played keys in a band, backing vocals, I was never the front man, I was always like producing or making music in, in the background somehow. Because he didn't like to sing? Uh, that's what I've always loved to do, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess I wasn't like ready for like being at the front or being... Yeah, I was quite a shy person. I still am a bit shy. And when we first had to do our first shows as Mode Step, I was like so terrified. <laughs> so scared. Yeah. Our first ever show was headlining a festival. I think Skrillex was on, oh my gosh. on the lineup, Dead Mouse. Yeah. Um, and we had to... Yeah, we had to go out, I think it was 60,000 people, and I just remember what? like pacing backstage, just like, I'm gonna be sick, I'm gonna be sick, that's it, like, this is it, this is our career over before it's even started. Um, and yeah, I was, yeah, I was just like really nervous, but then after that show, it seemed to just like break it, and I could no longer be nervous anymore, mm. and then like, I guess also, I knew that we had so many shows lined up, that like, yeah, that nerves thing had to be, had to be finished real quick, yeah. otherwise, yeah. We won't, wouldn't do too many shows. <laughs> so did you realize like early on that music would your, be your career? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I don't even know why. I just think that like out of everything I did as a kid, that was the thing that touched me the most. Like I could play songs and I'd cry and I'd be like, oh, right, this is like getting emotion from me. Whereas like most other things wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So I just always knew that, like Michael Jackson, I was there, I think I was six years old, went to go and see Michael Jackson. I'm just like, overwhelmed with emotion seeing something like that and I guess I just wanted to be swapping places and doing that for other people. Mm -hmm. And were your parents supportive from the onset? Yeah I think so yeah my mum definitely for sure she's always been like 110% she calls herself mummy mode step she makes made herself like all this fan merch with like blingy oh. mummy mode step <laughs> shows up to my shows at the side of stage. Yeah. She's super supportive, yeah, so like, I couldn't ask for anything more with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. And when you guys formed, it was originally four people, right? Um, actually, no. So when we formed, it was just me and my brother, um, and we made like a couple of songs, not really thinking anything of it. It was just kind of a bit of fun. Um, we'd heard dubstep. Um, like this was like after high school, or what, when was this? This would have been 2008 oh, or nine. Yeah. yeah, around then when we made the first songs. Um, I just came out of university, 
Oh, what do you study? Music. Wasn't much of a study though. It was kind of a party for three years, mm -hmm. which is cool. Like I got to meet loads of cool musicians. It was me and my brother, and there was another guy, who like only original Mode Step fans will remember, called Oz, and he was kind of like, what what did Oz do? He did like the visuals. So he had there was like me, my brother, and then a visuals guy. And then a guy who I went to university with called Matt was the original drummer. I was like, do you fancy doing drums? He was like, yeah, sure. And then we soon realized that like, we were getting booked for loads of rock festivals, so. How did you get our music out there initially? Oh, initially, we got really lucky, like super, super lucky. We were like one of the first guys doing dubstep in the UK and like really pushing it. The first song that I made uh, was called Exile and I put it up on UKF because at the time UKF wasn't really like much of a thing. And um, yeah, I think I just emailed him. I was like, hey, here you go. This is the song we just made. And um, overnight it got like a million hits. Oh wow. And we used the sample from Enya and she like battled straight away and had it taken down. So <laughs> like, yeah, we knew that we were onto something. We we're like, right, that was a million hits overnight. We better like have a follow up song. And then the next songs that we made got picked up by the radio in the UK. And like, next thing I know, I'm handing in my notice at work. And Where were you working? At the Apple store. <laughs> yeah, I got a job for like six months after university because I wanted to start a management company. Oh, what, what type of management? So we were managing um, all sorts of things, actually. We had like an acoustic guitar guy who has since gone on to like support Ed Sheeran and do really oh, well. Wow. Uh, Ryan Keane, go check him out, super talented. Um, and we were like, putting together our own girl band and stuff. Like we were doing loads of weird stuff. And we had a recording studio. So yeah, like three days of the week I was working at the Apple store, just basically earning money and biding time. And then the rest of the week I'd be like in studios, working on mode step and yeah, trying to get my artists off the ground. That's <laughs> yeah, weird. But yeah, within six months. And then I, you're just touring. That's it, yeah. That's it was so fast. It was so quick, within six months. We already booked, I think it, we came and did a year of touring Europe pretty much every single day. And then we did a tour of America in 2012 that was like 56 dates sold out on a tour bus. And that was like almost 10 years ago, so. How did your music get to the US? Um, that's a good question. I guess it would just be the internet. I kind of feel like dubstep was the, it was like the first thing that really was, was like an on internet like genre. SoundCloud or MySpace or when was? Uh, MySpace was still about, but I think it was just becoming kind of irrelevant at that point. Yeah. It was it was all YouTube, so we kind of oh. owed it to like UKF YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, and a few other YouTube channels that were just kind of they were posting like every week different songs, and I think we just hit on like a, a nice balance between the underground side and like because I was singing on the tunes that there was like something to remember. Mm -hmm. So radio were like, let's get this on, let's get this on the radio. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was kind of our, our foot in the door mm -hmm. straight away. And you were talking about the team members? Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, so then uh, we had Matt, who was like a guy I went to university with, partied with all the time. He was a, quite a good drummer, so I was like, hey, do you fancy playing drums for us? So then he joined, and then we soon realized like we need someone to play guitar, because we really wanted a live band, like that was really quite key to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So we held auditions, and I think we had um, auditions about a week before playing our first headline festival performance in the UK at a big rock festival. Um, so that was his first show. 
And he was, I think we had that lineup for a good like uh, three or four years before yeah. anyone left. Um, and then four or five years goes by, um, both uh, the drummer and guitarist left, so we needed to, oh, sorry, we needed to find um, uh, some replacements. And Pat was, um, he was on the same management company. He played drums for like a bunch of well-known rock bands, like oh, wow. Funeral for a Friend and um, some other bands in the UK. He was like, cool, I'll come play drums for you guys for a little while. Um, yeah, then he came and did a few shows with us. And I think it was actually in Japan where I was like, dude, you've got to leave your band and come. Like, you've got to do this, come on. You're like part of the gang already. You've only done a few <laughs> shows. And yeah, he was like, yeah, cool, fine. So he left and then about a, a year and a half ago, my brother decided he was done, like 10 years of doing Modeset was enough for him and just left it to me and Pat to continue. So now we've kind of switched it all into a, a two-piece instead of four of us. Yeah, and, what does um, your brother do? My brother was the DJ. Oh, I mean now. Oh, now. Like, what did um, he quit it for? Well, uh, he's got like a family and baby, oh. so he, I think, and also it was quite stressful, like touring 300 days a year is like, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of stress, not everyone can handle it and not everyone's really built for it. I feel like he had probably reached his, uh, his shelf life with just like that touring life. Mm -hmm. thing. Is he completely out of it or does he still help a bit with music or anything? He's out of mode step completely, yeah. yeah, he just left that to us, but I think he still does like, um, works for some other acts like tour managing and and like building stages and stuff like that whenever whenever you can. And then during that um, early time, was it really common to be live performing dubstep in the UK or? No, not at all. We were the only ones, I think like chasing status, but that was more drum yeah. and bass. But yeah, as far as like dubstep, there was us and another group called Tech One, who was just like a drummer and a DJ. And other than that, that was pretty much it. Even mm -hmm. to this day, I don't think there's that many yeah. people doing it. Cause like some, I think in previous interviews you said it, some people are not sure how it would go over in the crowd because it's not something they're expecting, like the early days of it. Yeah, it was it was a weird, weird thing, especially like you would go to like electronic music festivals and you would have to somehow fit what we do into like a, a DJ stage. So like they would already have like a DJ table built that, that couldn't be removed. So a lot of the time we'd be putting instruments in different parts of the stages and just trying to make it work. For like what we do and mm -hmm. yeah it was, it's been a big learning curve but it's cool because it means that we can go and do like rock festivals and also do electronic music festivals and kind of like receive the same way now yeah is your whole um live setup different for the two uh no we try and keep it the same oh wow. yeah we don't want to like play to the rock audience or play to the electronic audience because we feel like we're down the center enough that they'll both appreciate whatever we do what was the turning point that you realized you wanted to refine the electronic music aspect or you get more into that world? Um, it was never really like a turning point to be honest. I've always felt like that I wasn't as good as like the people that I looked up to production wise. I've always hear like a noisier tune or like a culprit tune or some of the like newer rhythm guys and just be like, how is this even happening? Like how are they doing this? So it's just like a part of my brain that I guess like competitive but also creative. I just always want to know how things are done and how things are made. So if I hear something and I don't know how it's made, that'll be me for like the rest of the week, sat with a laptop trying to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> how do you see everyone as a person compared to when you were younger? Oh, I used to be a bad kid. I used to be like 
even when we first started mode step like we had a bad reputation for always partying too hard and i feel like when we first started this i didn't really know much about the music industry or what i was doing or anything i just kind of went with it, it all happened so quickly but now i'm like i feel like i've aged to the point where i kind of learned all, all, from all my mistakes and now i'm doing this properly like i've got a really good team behind me and just yeah, just for the first time ever, I feel like I'm not a kid doing this, I'm like an, an adult doing it. Doing the duo for like 10 years, do you ever feel like you have to cater to certain trends or how do you like stay true and stuff? Yeah. Especially in dance music, I feel like so many artists are just falling into that like trend base. For and if sure. they don't, they're like falling off too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a weird balancing act. Um, I feel like changing all your music for trends is bad but being able to fit those trends within the music you already make is what's really important. So we've, over the last few years, realized that, you know, like, rhythm is more popular now. But, like, rhythm comes from what we came from, which is, like, yeah. the earlier sides of dubstep, so it wasn't too difficult to kind of find where that would fit in our music and just push it in there. Um, but, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of people who will just make tunes for the sake of being popular that week. And it does work. It'll get them touring for, like, a year or two years, but... If you want to be an actor that tours for 10 years, probably not gonna, it's not going to work so mm -hmm. well. How would you say our music has changed compared to the early songs you made? Oh, wow. Like, totally different, I guess. Now, well, when we first started Mode Step, like, the first songs that I made were the first ever electronic music tunes that I had ever made in my life. Because up until that point, I was making, like, hip-hop, pop, oh, rock. Wow. Yeah, like, typical, like music that a band person would make and then suddenly out of nowhere I'm like considered an electronic music producer but I really wasn't I had no idea what I was doing so I basically spent the last 10 years trying to catch up to what everyone else has been doing and I feel like the last two or three years we've really like found our own sound and found our own kind of uh, home especially with Disciple. The tunes in the early days were quite obviously someone who knew how to make music but not necessarily electronic music and I feel like the music now it's it's proper electronic music and also proper other music but mm -hmm. yeah the electronic side is definitely more refined and, and well done. I think we've got the respect of like other producers now more so than ever before. What does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? Yeah. Damn. Love is an indescribable connection between two people. It's pretty much to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the indescribable part makes it harder to go, like mm -hmm. talk about any further. But yeah, it's like a, a feeling that you have with two people that it doesn't even have to be two people. I guess it can be two things. Connection between two things. Yeah. <laughs> Last question: What do you want Mode Step to be remembered for? What do I want Mode Step to be remembered for? a live show. Hmm. I want people to, yeah, come and see us live and just realize that there's something different when you come and see us play to any other DJ or even any other live act, you know. We've been doing this for so long. This has been like, it's almost 10 years, coming up to 10 years next year of doing our live oh, wow. show. And I just feel like there's something that we, like some chemistry that we've come up with over the last 10 years that I don't know, I don't think anyone else can really compete with. So that's what, how I would like to be remembered is like performers, 
more than anything else, just like really good performance. Yeah, I love this. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Hi, now I'm with Pat. Hi, I'm the other half. <laughs> so we're in the UK. Exactly. Where are you from? Uh, London, England. Oh, like mm -hmm. in in the city. Uh, I was born in West London in a place called Ealing. Um, mm -hmm. I spent 14 years there, and then. I, I just sort of moved around um, because of touring and like losing jobs and getting new jobs. I just kind of always just found myself in a new place every time I came home from like a long like run of shows or something. Mm -hmm. But um, do your parents, are they doing creative stuff as uh, well? They died when I was really young, but, um, but they were both, they were both like uh, somewhat like musical. Mm -hmm. My mum did dancing and like oh. a little bit of singing. She wasn't very good, bless her. Um, but my dad was like a singer-songwriter, kind of had his, um, had like an originals, uh, multiple originals, like groups throughout mm -hmm. the years and stuff. But his main thing was like writing songs. And, oh. And yeah. What kind of music was played when you were growing up? Ooh, um, like just rock music. Uh, I think my mum kind of like got down with like chill stuff and like I, I, I heard like Enya. My mum used to play Enya. And that might like be nails on chalk for people, but I grew up kind of like having a soft spot for Enya. And oh, I love Enya. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I've probably had Sail Away like 500 oh, times. Oh my god! Yeah. My <laughs> um, but no, my dad was like more into like, you know, ZZ Top and uh, like like Maiden and Priest and like got me into like I guess like you know not just heavy music but like you know like Eric Clapton as well mm. and things like that because he was a guitarist. He he listened to a whole heap of like guitar writers and stuff, which was dope. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then at what age did you pick up your first instrument? Oh, wow. Um, well, I think for Christmas, age three, I got like, uh, like this, like, I don't know what they call it in America, but back home it's called Fisher-Price. It's basically like entry-level toys. Oh, yeah. Kids. They're like, they, like what you'd give to a kid if they wanted a drum to play with, but like mm -hmm. not for reals. So it was like made of like plastic and it had like a plastic symbol with a little screw. Yeah. So when you hit it, it would kind of vibrate a little bit and sound a little bit cymbally. Um, but no, I didn't get like a real kit, kit, like until I was, um, let me think about this. My parents got me, I was eight. I was eight when I got a full size like adult kit. But yeah, I kind of, I guess I started playing like around that, somewhere between three and eight, I started taking it kind of serious. Mm -hmm. and, um, like taking some of the basics kind of like a little bit serious and then I started gigging when I was 14. Oh wow. And did you realize that you were going to do music for your whole life? I wanted to, but everyone said that it wasn't feasible, but I had a parent that made it kind of work. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to one-up him, you know? Yeah. I, I saw my dad do so much and I was like, all right, cool. I guess if you do get really, really good, really young, I was always concerned with how how good my dad was when he was my age. So when oh. I was, let's say I was, you know, 11, talking to my father, I'd be like, you know, like, what what could you play at this age? You know, mm -hmm. like, I wanted to know if I was beating him. And that yeah. sounds really silly, but like, when you see a kid, when you're a kid and you see your old man as like, your inspiration and like a bit of a hero, you kind of just want to one-up it and stay ahead of the game. And then by the time I was like, starting to earn a little bit of money from shows, I say, get well, gigs at that point because they were just in bars and stuff. Yeah, I got really tired of school. School started really sucking because, you know, I was able to earn doing what I loved. So like the comparison was there real early for me. It was like take academia seriously 
and like you know because my sister went on to Oxford and oh, wow. she's a doctor and like you know there's quite a few doctors in my family and I'm not saying I could have been that I'm stupid compared to, <laughs> to her and, and, and my cousins and my brother even but um yeah no I I, I just kind of wanted to, 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 to make shows work that's all I cared about so yeah yeah I took a big risk I suppose Mm-hmm. And did you like finish high school or go to college or? Oh no, I got kicked out of high, high school. school. Yeah. And then you're just doing music full time. Pretty much. I, uh, I I did enroll in college, but um, I uh, I met actually a teacher at that at that college when I was like I guess 16, and we actually started a band. Or no, rather I joined his band. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like signed and stuff, so it kind of seemed like a cool way to like you know go into music. I was like, all right, this guy's already, like, taught me a whole bunch about, like, music theory and, like, you know, I can develop as a player and as a, like, a musical theory head with this guy. So, we, we you know, me and my buddy, we stuck with him for a bit. And, uh, yeah, I think it was um, when I was 17, going on 18, that was, that was where it became a, oh, shit, like we can do this let's do this because we started getting real gigs i joined oh, wow. a band called rice Trim. well i started a band called rice Trim with my friends and um yeah we, we we were getting like download festival and like we were touring with like trivium and chimera and like you know Whitechapel bands that i'd literally grown up listening to wow. like going to, to see live you know um standing in the queues and like loving these acts mm-hmm. then i was like a kid all of a sudden i was a little bit of an older kid and i was touring with those dudes like hanging out with them, smoking with them. So yeah, um, I kind of didn't really consider a serious career or for that, for lack of a better term, like a more, you know, real job job. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, like music was there kind of early. I just stuck with it, I guess. Tried yeah. To be as good as I could be. Then how did you get to per, um, be part of the bigger bands? Like um, Josh was saying. So rise went like we toured for like maybe four years and and it was real complicated but they they booted out my uh, they had a meeting right before we were about to fly to the united states and tour with um i don't know if you know any of these bands but it was machine head mm-hmm. um suicide silence and darkest hour um and this was maybe like 2011 this is going back so I'm, i would have been out 2021 um 21 i think <clears throat> and they decided right before we like the first show was in Denver like on like the 23rd or something and this was like literally the 21st of the month this yeah. was right before we like went to the airport and they like kicked out my best mate out of the band oh, so wow. yeah it was real like brutal we were sat there in a Starbucks in central London we signed to EMI and this story has never been told ever I didn't tweet this <laughs> I didn't say shit I just this was heartbreaking stuff mm-hmm. so they kicked out my best buddy who like I we wrote this this album together as five people you know me and joe like genuinely kicked this this live act into the next like league you know we were we, we were no longer like a kiddie act we were like serious we had we were selling tickets mm-hmm. and i feel like we did it as five people and they booted out one of the members as like three people i didn't yeah. even know about it so i left the band like later that day like i drafted an email and just like walked <laughs> so i went back to work actually for like two three months mm-hmm. um and after I got real sick of working and, and it was kind of great timing because my phone rang and like it was some friends of mine from Wales and they were like, hey, do you want to audition for our band? And I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I didn't really think anything of it. I didn't think I'd get the gig. I just thought, lol, you know, oh, OK, I'll audition. So I kind of hopped out of bed and learned a whole bunch of their like albums. 
um, and went down to Wales and auditioned for Funeral for Friends. Yeah. And then got that gig, and then that's kind of how that started. Mm-hmm. And but, how long were you with them? Like four years. Wow. Um, right until like they they they're not going anymore. They they ended mm-hmm. it like a couple of years back. But we, I did the last um the last bunch of records with them. So it was great to like record and write albums with like a band I definitely like. Yeah. To, what was know? it like just? being drummer for the other bands to like a lot of the producing and songwriting um yeah like mega different mega different like my whole my whole life i've sort of had to relearn how to not just adapt around different like people or be around different people but learn how to like play my instrument in a way that is kind of like a new kind of style almost every like the last few years been so one band and another band and then Mm -hmm. joining mode step from funeral was the biggest transition ever because it was like, okay, there's not like the traditional kind of four or five guys in a room writing songs with their instruments and like bouncing off of each other. It's more like, you know, you talk about where a song goes, you talk about a vibe and we sort of used to sit down and watch Josh do his magic and like throw, throw pointers in and like, you know, like, oh, that could go on for a bit longer. But Josh has always been like the wizard and he's, he's always been the guy that just sort of sits there and, you know, like he will leave you on red for five days. <laughs> you know, but that's completely fine because he'll he'll send this Dropbox link at the end of it. He's like, yeah, I made some tweaks, man. So it's a totally new way of working, and the live show is a totally new way of working as well. Um, just being on like triggers and, and 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 having our live show work the way it does, and like it's super unique with the way that like we put drums over the songs. Like a lot of people haven't really like in the, you know in the EDM circuit that I've seen, a lot of people have different live acts and mm-hmm. different ways of like exploring the live medium i think ours is the most real yeah it's the most like open to error it's the most um you need your wits on the day really mm-hmm. you need to put on a live show and if and, and, and if we fuck up then it sounds like ass uh, I, I can't even say that any other way I, tr- I tried to think of a way i could make that sound like less crude <laughs> but if you if if you know, it's like, it's as simple as this. There's no like backing track for like the drums, for the vocals. Like if we miss something, if we, if Josh sings the wrong lyric or like cues the wrong thing, mm-hmm. I'm playing a different song. Like yeah. I'm going into that song that's in my ears and that's just like, boom, catastrophe. So we need to be like so locked in mm. for 60 minutes, 75 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever the set length is. It's like focus, focus, focus. Yeah. And it's kind of like, yeah, that was different because more time with rock bands and metal bands and stuff, it's just like you sit on a click a metronome and your pad or like you warm up for a little bit and you boom you go on and do the same show you did the night before mode step's not like that it's like every show it's kind of the same but the vibe will be vastly different from show mm-hmm. to show to show there'll always be something new that one of us does or says and just changes the whole thing really so i kind of like that we can we can walk out there's two of us now so you know we can walk out and it's just, it's just us we bounce off of each other and it's usually like a really fucking mm. sick vibe, you know? Yeah. But it is real, like the, 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 the fact of like, you know, if I miss a pad or if my pad mistriggers, everyone stops dancing. Yeah. Like, and that's a seriously like sobering thing. Mm-hmm. You'll be playing to 10,000 people, you know, more more. Mm-hmm. And it's a great haze to see like, you know, them bouncing at 150 and then all of a sudden they stop because your stick breaks in half. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. oh shit. And like you miss three more snares after that, mm-hmm. and people are kind of like, you know what the crowds are like. Yeah. Like, alrighty, cool, they fucked it, and it's like it's you know it's it's harsh, and you got to bring it back and reel it in, and yeah, it's it's a fun live show. It's definitely mm-hmm. rewarding when you get a good one. How much of the electronic 
music scene did you know before you joined it? I would say more than the average guy. Um, like, believe it or not, the, the whole metal and dubstep world, yeah. as far as I was concerned, was was pretty kind of one in the same. Um, like, obviously, you had like Skrillex, and when he was in from first to last, like that whole kind of transition from like rock to dubstep was, you know, the first big one. But I think a lot of people, especially that I've met along the years, like um, James Funkcase, for example, like. I remember the very first day I met him, he was like, do you know how to play uh, Entombment of a Machine by Job for a Cowboy on the drums? And I was like, uh, yeah, probably, man. Like, uh, I think, <laughs> you know, probably. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a while, maybe I'll warm up, but yeah, we'll get there. And he's like, yeah, that's my favorite song to play in Knee Deep as well. Kid sat down and started playing Knee Deep straight away. Funkcase was like bad boy drummer. Like, yeah. And I was like, I met a few other people, like Borgo, Asaf, he's bad boy drummer. Josh Flux, bad boy drummer. Like, you got all these people that were like, into metal, you know, mm -hmm. and then I, I think back in the day, Schism dropped Experts, and I was one of the only people in my little friend circle of like bass heads that knew what the speech was, what was from, you know, you know, when he's like, you know, what the fucking experts are trying to tell you, all that stuff, like that's mm -hmm. from a Pantera gig at Red Square, you know, that's oh, wow. from that's from uh, before he goes into uh, what's the song fucking hostile I think mm -hmm. so just before they count that number off he does this big ass speech about fuck the experts and like yeah that, I mean I don't know I just think I've always seen metal and like especially like you know before rhythm kind of popped over here like there was a lot more like direct comparison there's a lot more guitar and dubstep mm -hmm. um, so yeah there's always been like that I just see it as like you replace the electronic guitars with wavetables yeah. And that's kind of, you know, drums have always been like razor sharp and precise and, and super heavy in metal, and they are in dubstep, so, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I see a lot of the comparisons, like if there was a Venn diagram with dubstep or like rhythm and then like metal, I, th I think like so many of them would be right in the middle. Yeah. You know, little vagina shaped <laughs> uh, chasm. <laughs> and then, how did you first meet Disciple? How did I first meet Disciple? Well, it was on Skype actually. I knew I knew about Dodger Fusky's music and stuff, but I'd never met Rob. Never met anybody that I hadn't like kind of done shows with over on Europe before we moved out here. So um, I think it was yeah, Rob and me and Josh and Rossi, who's Myro, um, our manager. We had like a four-way window on Skype. I'd never mm -hmm. done one before. It was really nerve-wracking. <laughs> I was sat there just like, don't know what to say trying to make a joke but like they might take it wrong because like one of them I'd never met and one of them yeah. I'd met like once before so um yeah we, we spoke about maybe like the possibility of coming out here and doing some stuff and like it all it all rolled from there basically mm -hmm. like kind of got here and we realized there was a bunch of like UK kids putting in the work so it was a it was a really nice kind of vibe you know and then how did it click to you that you wanted to be with them like after that I'll be honest um my role so Rossi he he manages like our, our like act. He manages a whole bunch of acts like um, Barely Alive and Virtual. Mm -hmm. and, but he, he like he he he's half of the label as well, or a third even I should say. And he, he does like sort of two jobs. So kind of he introduced us to the label side of things. And then like when we worked with him as as like you know as manager or him as our manager, that was kind of when we were like, yeah, we're in good hands, man. Like <laughs> we've been through a lot of tricky situations a lot of sticky ones and you know when you're our age Josh is 31 I'm 28 we're not like kids you know so when you've been like in a few management situations or a few label situations or anything like that 
and they haven't gone the way you initially planned, meeting someone like Rossi seems a bit too good to be true. Mm. You know, and like the whole Disciple crew, all these videos, you were like, right, they all look like real posy and everyone's real happy, but is it like that? And and that was kind of our initial like concern, or at least it was mine. Um, and yeah, no, it really is. Like there is a great, great vibe and being a small label in a small kind of genre, it's like it's easy to maintain that really good vibe. Yeah. And that's what it is really. It's just a really good family vibe and everyone looks out for everyone. There's no bitchiness. Like everyone's supporting mm. everyone's music. Someone has a release and it's bumped on everyone's pages and that's great. Yeah. And it's not a it's not a guy in the office doing it, it's us, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that that'll always kinda make people like me and Josh, you know, wanna like gravitate towards that. It's just like sweet man. Mm -hmm. actual real people being really nice to each other and it's refreshing it's yeah. like you want to make music and send it to someone who you flip and respect and have them get right back to you and like you know send send their shit and like you know it's just really nice nothing's contrived or fake it's just it's real it's, it's like it's rare it's a unique thing that they've got and they've worked like five years to get that yeah so, yeah big up disciple crew does it feel a bit different because you've been in like bands and doing drums your whole life and now maybe you categorize under more of like a EDM producer or...? Uh, no, not, not particularly. So I'm um, yeah. like, again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't champion my production skills. I suck. I'm pretty deaf. You mm -hmm. know? Um, I've, I've done like thousands of shows in my life. Um, I wouldn't... I think I did a hearing test recently and I struggled to hear over 10.5k. So oh my gosh. I'm like... I'm sure I'm, I'm I'm heading for a hearing aid before I'm like 35, so I wouldn't like jump in the producer seat and want to make a banger straight away. But like in in terms of like songwriting, I still enjoy like putting together a, a, a piece of work. That being said, Josh has worked on everything in the last two EPs, mm -hmm. the one that we just dropped, Echoes, and this new one. He's basically just been whipping them up, yeah. fucking quick. Like I think he did this last one in one week, <laughs> but like. The, the, the bulk of the work, I, like, you know, in one day, I'm pretty sure he sent me over two almost finished songs kind of from that EP that are both on the EP. So he's kind of on fire at the moment. Um, as far as, like, my contribution, like, so I've got a sample pack coming out with Virtual Riot mm -hmm. um, for, like, just, just drums, like, yeah. exclusively, like, rhythm and dubstep drums. It's got a cool name, um, and I'm going to put it all on, like, line very soon. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but if it's sometime soon, it'll probably be dropping at the same sort of time. So yeah, um, yeah. In the next month anyway. Mm -hmm. So that'll be all. That'll be all available for everyone to sort of uh, grab off uh, off the internet when it's all dropped. There'll be a link to everything, and yeah, hopefully uh, everyone starts using my shit and yeah. their songs because that's kind of what I like. You know, I, I, I like. I think drums are such a massive part of dubstep or any EDM genre for that matter, or any genre of music. So like, if I can make as many six sample packs as I can make for different like things, like a future bass one with future bass fills and you know drum and bass ones with drum and bass breaks and just keep doing that, that's kind of my contribution. That's where I want to aim to be in the next few years is just like keeping Josh laced with like drum pack, uh, you know, drum samples and stuff that he can use in, in, in the music mm -hmm. he makes. Because it kind of makes everyone's life easier when there's real good stuff to just drag and drop, you know? That's kind of the, the new the new way of making tunes. I mm -hmm. think if you're sat there like programming all day long, it kind of gets super boring when you're trying to put down an idea. So that's yeah. kind of, that's my thing. I want to mm -hmm. get like new and creative drum loops in the mix and make dubstep a bit more dynamic and fun and live and real. That's my aim, that's my goal. Yeah. Yep. 
day to day if he's doing more of the producing are you more of, do you do more of the the live like live performance like getting into that or day to day how do your roles so, uh, differ? so we like well we do shows together yeah we prepare for shows together so that side of it's kind of uh kind of normal it's mm -hmm. more just like josh will have a lot of times in the diary when we're not touring there's no shows and it might be like two weeks or even like five days in between shows and it'll just be like block booked out with like EP production so he'll know exactly how long he has and the deadline will be in that month at some point and he'll just have maybe like two block book weeks to work on it mm -hmm. and that's kind of how that works now normally we used to write as you know when we were four people there'd be four people in a room but like I said Josh is there uh, since he's been like in LA since we moved over here I think just hanging around hanging around with a whole bunch of people on Disciple it's like they almost treat music production like a game it's 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 like you know like let me see your new ideas like you know and people go go home and whip up two or three new ones it's um it's just like the, the speed at which people are making like really sick playable music has just gone tenfold in the last few years so now that josh is kind of like on that it's yeah it's like you know if you, if you blink you might miss a tune Mm -hmm. um, I know we made a drum and bass one last night. I saw him tweet about it. So, <laughs> you know, but that's mm -hmm. that's the nature of it. When when inspira inspiration is 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 kind of striking, you got to go with it. What does success mean to Modestep? Oh, that's a very difficult question. To be honest, I'm, I'm I'm fairly certain we can consider ourselves successful. The amount of stuff we've come kind of come through, mm -hmm. um, and we're still an act. You know, it's been almost ten years for for Josh um, and six for me. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd say, I'd say what is success? Will you ever know if you're killing it at the time? Probably, probably not. You'll probably look back after six months or a year and be like, holy fuck, man, that summer festival season killed it. But, yeah. you know, you won't know until you're on your headlining dates playing to, you know, an, an eighth of that many people. You won't know until, you know, you feel it. You know, there's certain sobering things in, in, in the music industry that will kind of make you feel like unsuccessful and there's ones that will make you feel like you're a king, so. Mm -hmm. You just gotta fake the rough with this move. Yeah, we have. I'd say we're successful. Yeah. Right? And, and like stupidly lucky to be able to do it. Dubstep took a dip, and like our own country, where where it's from, wouldn't play it on the radio. You know, it, it was getting no love. So, for for Josh to have kind of kept playing dubstep, even in all of that climate, mm. you know, he, you know, when you could have been playing house and other things. You know, and I'm not naming names, I'm not chatting shit, I'm just saying, like, there's a certain amount to be said for acts that don't, you know, stray too far from the path of the cause. So, like, I always say the same band comes back to them every time, but Iron Maiden have done the same record for, like, 35 years. It's always the same branding, it's the same type of tunes, it's, it's like, that's why they're, they're still relevant, and they're still big today, and still selling sh shows out, because... You know, they've given their fan base exactly what they want. So once you have a fan base, which most of have, it's really important to not alienate them or push them away and give them stuff that they, they don't want or, or, or are interested in. You know, yeah. you, you know, but at the same time as playing to like the people that make you a band, you've got to keep yourself happy and mm -hmm. fulfilled. So it's, it's a balance. Yeah, it's a I love balance. this. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries, no worries. <laughs> Bye.